Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. On Tuesday the 17th of August, the Taliban seized power in Afghanistan, two weeks before the US was set to complete its troop withdrawal after a costly two-decade war. Since then, we've seen footage of desperate Afghanis trying to flee that country amidst threats of death by the Taliban. To help us analyse the collapse of Afghanistan, we talked to Farhonde Akbar. She is a human rights activist and researcher who has investigated human rights violations by armed parties in Afghanistan, and she's currently based at the Australian National University. I would start with just quoting the Asia Foundation that um, uh, in 2019, just before COVID, that they were able to conduct their survey. 85.1% of the Afghan population uh, indicated that they have absolutely no sympathy for the Taliban. That shows to us that uh, the Taliban lacks that, that grassroots support that they claim. But the fact that the, the elements that you mentioned does play, have played uh, a role in, 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 in the Taliban's victory, and that is corruption, that is fighting the wrong strategy. And all of this, too, comes back to our international um, partners, especially the U.S. and also the Afghan government. And, and it is it is a combination of or a combination of failures on on from the U.S. side and from the Afghan government that led to the Taliban victory because the Afghan people, however tired of war they are, they have seen the Taliban before. They have experienced the Taliban before. So Taliban did lack lack that genuine public support. Uh, but at the same time, it's not that the Taliban are so strong and, 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 and supported, but it is, it is the failure on this side that led them to, that, to the failure and, and, and eventual collapse of, of Afghanistan in the hands of the Taliban. Why do you think, I mean, it's been 20 years that these successive governments have been in power. Um, what, how do you account for this, this level of corruption and so little nation building going on in that time? I mean, having looking back at the 20 years of the intervention in Afghanistan, um, we saw that um, at the beginning with the Taliban leaving Kabul, they left Kabul without a bullet being fired, but then they took back Kabul without a bullet being fired. So, but at that time, they in, in, in Bonn Conference 2000 and December 2001, the U.S. and the other Afghan parties, they nego- they put, uh, they installed the wrong the wrong form of government for Afghanistan. Afghanistan is a diverse, ethnically diverse, very tribal um, uh, uh, society. They put a very centralized presidential system that the our president had the power of a king, and he was the one um, assigning people from top to bottom. And for a for a for a country at war, and for for one man to manage the entire country, it became very difficult. And also knowing that we are diverse politically, culturally, linguistically, and and first it was this very centralized system. Secondly, it was that was part of the deal in in Bonn conference, and secondly, the corruption, um, and that started mainly with uh, with the elections. 
2004, the world witnessed how Afghans poured themselves and their heart to the to the bull, uh, to the to the ballot papers, and, and and just to be able to have that opportunity to to nominate uh, who they want them to represent. Because mind you, I mean we are we have seen other episodes of war. We had seen the Soviet invasion. We had seen the the civil war, the Taliban takeover. So 2014, after the transitional government that was set, people really looked forward for that. But that was the only successive election that corruption was low. And then the 2009 presidential election, that fraud was immense. And, and, and it, it goes back to that, to that strategy of war. It goes back to the system, the government system, that, um, that led to that... Um, build up um, their route to corruption, and then the 2014 election, and then the 2019 election, which was um, an institutionalized um, uh, uh, fraud. Coming back to the latest one, I was an independent observer for the, for the presidential election going to different provinces. I observed less than one million Afghans made it to the to the um, uh, to the to the um, uh, elections and centers that day to cast their vote. Why? Because they did not believe in it. Because their votes were sold in these previous elections, be it parliamentary or presidential, and it was always that whoever America selects, they would become a president. And then the precedent was that in 2014, when there was uh, uh, reports of fraud, Afghan people did come to the streets, did raise their voice that. There are frauds that need to be investigated. But then the U.S. Secretary of State, John Kerry, came to Kabul and then made the deal between the two running the running um, uh, candidates, uh, Dr. Abdullah and Dr. Ashraf Ghani, to join a, 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 a unity government. So uh, our tale of misery uh, that we are going through today began um, uh, from before, but mainly from that day when people really lost hope in democracy in their voice being heard because U.S. interfered, U.S. and our international partners did not principally take sides to do uh, something about this fraud and also side with the people, not, not with the leaders, because the leaders, I mean, the international community were after quick fixes. And then the result is what we are seeing today and the collapse of the entire country, Kabul within hours, the entire country within days. And now getting to these current events, the, the Taliban took control of Afghanistan 20, 25 years ago the first time. They were, they were much younger, they were straight out of the madrasas, um, and they took over the country really quickly back then as well. 25 years later, a lot of the same leaders are still there, but they're much older. A lot of them have lived overseas. There was footage and reports of them destroying tape recorders, cassettes, other forms of technology. Nowadays, they seem totally engaged with social media. Do you see any difference between the Taliban of 1996 versus the Taliban of 2021? Um, look, we we have been living in in with the Taliban. Uh, my family lived in the in the first version, and my relative and close um, uh, friends are living in the second version now. Uh, but we, it, it is uh, to, to there has been an argument about that the Taliban have changed, and that narrative came when the U.S. started to abandon the Afghan government and the Afghan people and negotiated. Um, 
um, an exit agreement, but they called it a peace agreement with the Taliban in 2018. For the U.S. to directly and diplomatically engage with the Taliban, they had to put out this narrative that the Taliban has changed. But from an Afghanistan perspective, from our people, from the people's perspective, the Taliban have changed, yes, but they have gone more brutal. They have gone more advanced in their in their in their atrocity that they have been committing. I mean, look at Afghanistan. It is twenty years it is still continued to be on the top list as the most unstable place in the world. Um, the conflict was 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 rampant and the level of violence was huge. But the Taliban used different tactics. It, it evolved in as an insurgency using different tactics, different means of uh, another evolution for them was how to use communication technology to promote their ideas and ideology to this to their to their own fighters as well as to communicate to the world but uh, this is part of the Taliban propaganda we have not seen any substance from the Taliban to be hopeful that the Taliban have changed for better the Taliban can govern. The Taliban really struggled to govern Afghanistan in the in, when the first took power in 1995, 1996, and they're still struggling today to, uh, to, to do governance. Um, but they have sort of um, been very successful in managing their communication and their propaganda in a way to rebrand themselves in terms of communicating using this caveat that exists in the world and also the weaknesses that are there and also the 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 lack of appetite from the international community. Everyone wants to get out of Afghanistan. So it's it's a good time for Taliban to polish their portrait, uh, uh, to to bring that doubt at least that they have changed. But in reality, uh, uh, suicide bombing occurs. The Taliban are as harsh as they are, as they have been. Um, Ideologically, for the Taliban, um, they remain core to what they were and, and, and the reason even the leadership might need to see the need to change that, but they cannot because as an, an extremely ideological organization, the cohesiveness of the Taliban as an insurgency have been able to, um, uh, uh, to control uh, their rank and file. And that comes with ideology more than anything else. Um, it, it, it's, it's, not, um, it's not the threats of survival. People can always switch sides. And this is very prominent in Afghanistan, especially during the wars, for people to... And that ideology was one of the reasons that the Taliban never was not able to compromise in the peace negotiation and also agree to a ceasefire. And when they did take over 25 years ago, Afghanistan was much less urbanised and much more uh, uh, rural. This time around, it's the opposite. There's many poor, there's many more people living in urban centres, and the population is much more internationally connected. How do you think the Taliban will go in governing this kind of a population? that is the biggest struggle. Um, Afghanistan, 75% uh, of the population is under 30 uh, years of age. So that means a lot of the people have been born and raised in the post-2001 era, exposed to the world, connected to the world, and also this 
the evolution of um, technology plays a big role here. So that's why uh, there will really be a struggle. The Taliban cannot hide their atrocities anymore. As we are seeing in the last few days that they took over, there are videos being leaked, but there are restrictions. People are fearful of their lives. And and uh, the, uh, the 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 Afghan youth, I mean, as hopeless as they are today, that the world left them and their leaders, their uh, uh, national leaders, also abandoned them. As our president just uh, flew off from the country, they think that uh, they cannot live in the the version that we are seeing. The Taliban that they are, um, they're not able to evolve. But it's the Taliban that have to evolve and melt down to the in, into the realities of the society. Uh, there is a large. Uh, educated population um, uh, in Afghanistan uh, by opening of schools and uh, internet students going to universities, returning back to Afghanistan. Yes, the Taliban would really struggle, and this is what we have to witness in the days to come, how the Taliban would form a government to be able to uh, uh, satisfy um, different constituency and also have a say. But but we are not very ho- hopeful. We think we have just uh, entered another cycle of war. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. That was Farhan Deir Akbar speaking about the collapse of Afghanistan. She's a researcher at the Australian National University. Next up on the show, we move to Indonesia's struggle for democracy and we hear from Aspinawati, the chair of Indonesia's Legal Aid Foundation. She spoke at a recent international online meeting looking at democracy in the Asia-Pacific region. You'll hear some background noise of the interpreter because the event was being translated into Thai. I will start uh, uh, slightly uh, with the history of the authoritarian in Indonesia, it started uh, in 1966, huh. uh, the new order, oh. uh, and this is the picture of uh, Suharto and his uh, family. Uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting uh, a picture. And uh, there are three uh, characters of the new order. Uh, first, the big scale development, and its development uh, has been uh, had neglected people and also unwanted by the people and grab uh, people's rights, including uh, gr- uh, land grabbing and etc. And also state captured corruption. The the corruption is uh, was a uh, very massive uh, and um, many laws uh, made uh, uh, because they want to legalize the corruption and mm. also stabilization, um, the repressive law, the function of military, so military. Are positive in uh, many uh, position, uh, ministry, minister, and etc. Okay. This is the reformation on 1998 and oh. 2019. We have to uh, demonstrate it again in front of the parliament buildings, and mm. we call it with hashtag a corrupted reformation. Uh, it's a very massive demonstration, uh, as you can see, uh, okay. and even it, it's it it has not covered all of the mass, yeah, and it's triggered uh, by the revision uh, on the law uh, of uh, commission, corruption eradication commission, and also the new uh, penal bill, the, the bill on the penal code. Okay, so you come up with a bill on penal code and uh, reform of the corruption, independent uh, anti-corruption uh, institution? Um, we against the revision uh, oh. because the, the government wants to uh, weaken 
the commission. On 2020, uh, there uh, also a big demonstration uh, against the omnibus law on job creation. At mm. least we recorded that there there were 97 location that demonstrate that oh. part of the demonstration. So uh, I want to go to the, the, the second uh, uh, point uh, that uh, how the democracy turned into the authoritarian. Uh, so in the case of Indonesia, at least uh, from the point of uh, YLBHI, uh, uh, there, there has been an authoritarian cycle from not authoritarian, the government will uh, create fake crisis situation. There are many ways uh, mm. uh, uh, from the government. And then if the fake crisis situation is not enough, they will fabricating the crisis situation, like exploiting the bomb, the, the real bomb. Uh, like the, 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 the example of fake crisis situation that uh, when, they, the, when the rumor spreading all over Indonesia about like uh, the, uh, the green uh, the green uh, pen, mm -hmm. the green panty, uh, and uh, it means that uh, some men are uh, fooling around and rape a woman, but mm -hmm. it never, uh, it, 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 it's, uh, yeah, we doubt that really happened, but fabricating crisis situation, as I mentioned before, like they really exploited uh, a bomb. They will explore, ex they, they, will, uh, they will show a common enemy uh, mm. it's a, a group or some groups that uh, that uh, they uh, say that uh, are behind the crisis situation mm. and because of that uh, uh, the, the common enemy become a reason to uh, shrinking uh, or limiting civic freedom and the shrinking civic freedom is only one stage before emergency situation. Uh -huh. um, and the, the government will again fabricating crisis situation or fake crisis situation, mm. then that's become a reason to implement emergency situation. Uh -huh. Then an emergency situation is the authoritarian. Okay, so mm. a, a fake crisis situation needs boogeyman. Mm -hmm. uh, in 1965, the boogeyman is a, 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 the, the communist party and also the, a, the the uh, people who accuse as a communist mm. in the new order, uh, right extremists and left extremists become uh, the the common uh, the the state the, the enemy of the state. Mm. In the formation, there are many communists. Mm. Um, uh, our office has uh, had attack once in nineteen uh, uh, sorry two thousand and seventeen mm. uh, uh, because people thought that there 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 was a communist. Uh, meeting mm. there, and at least five thousand people uh, came to uh, our office, huh. and also the blasphemous people blaspheme to uh, majority religion and also LGBT. And uh, Jokowi uh, again uh, tend to play the uh, right and left uh, extremists. Mm. Uh, uh, at this time, they uh, call it radicalists. It mm. means that from the intolerant people to terrorists. I forget to mention that uh, left extremists uh, also uh, uh, are targeting the labor union and mm. labor union activists and also labor activists. Okay, now I, I turn into the lawyer in the context mm. because Legal Aid, uh, my organization, uh, Indonesia Legal Aid Foundation is uh, 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 doing a lawyering. Uh, and, uh, uh, but in fact, there are differences between lawyer that are willing only to 
uh, have a case resolution uh, to the lawyer who are doing legal empowerment and a lawyer uh, in the social movement. Mm. Uh, so I will go uh, directly to the social movement. In the social movement, uh, of course, we already know that uh, collective action and a common goal is the, uh, the, the, the focus of the social movement and the goal of the lawyer are also social and political change mm. and it means there is systematic because there is systemic injustice and changes cannot done from the system mm. so the role of the lawyer should be part of the movement it means that we are uh, we, we, we have to support the movement and mm. not demoralize uh, movement like saying that we cannot do that uh, let's just go to the just let's just go to the court litigate this you no know? mm. we need to support the the, the, the demonstration, the action uh, from uh, outside the parliament, etc. So um, I will uh, 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 going detail. Uh, so this is the human rights situation uh, when uh, lawyering uh, should be in context. From the authoritarian regime, the purpose of the lawyering uh, should be the cases just as an entry point to raising awareness. And we uh, have been used uh, the immunity of lawyer or even start off the immunity of lawyer because the regime, the authoritarian regime, uh, will always limiting this immunity mm. of the lawyer. Uh, the immunity of the lawyers can be used to empower people like raising awareness uh, uh, because at the time the labor union uh, will uh, get harder uh, effort uh, rather than the lawyer. And also a trial uh, that publicly open can give space to us to mobilize people mm. and also as a tool to report human rights abuses. Uh, 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 this needs precondition that we, we should organizing people as our groundwork. It means that we always do this. Uh, and also, we have to uh, have a security protocol, mm. also monitoring and documenting the process inside and outside the courtroom, and also doing a lot of campaign, internal and outside the country. Mm. Okay, the second one is transitional justice. Um, uh, this 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 space is important because, like Indonesia, when we fail uh, uh, pass this transitional justice, then uh, we can easily come back to the authoritarian uh, 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 situation. Mm. So uh, the the purpose of the lawyering in this context is consolidation among civil society mm. and mass, mm. and also we need to record of actors who involved in human rights abuses or human rights violation. And we should uh, uh, make principle of illustration implemented. It means that uh, uh, the one who involved in the authoritarian regime should should not be elected again and should not mm. be uh, posited in any uh, uh, in any uh, uh, position of government. Okay, the, the precondition of this we need to building strategy among the network, monitoring and documenting. Um, uh, many things and also formulation of claim in a lawsuit, not just a compensation, uh, but also a, a policy changes and also the campaign. Now the context of a social movement, of course, uh, we choose our, our organization, the social movement, to be the best uh, strategy. And uh, we have a context that now we live in, uh, we, we are an informational organism, uh, referring to the Luciano Florida, it means that the real is information and the, the and, uh, information is the reality. It means that 
um, um, the fact, the reality that cannot uh, inform the, the people considered as uh, not real. So uh, inform means that uh, interconnected and embedded in the informational environment or mm. infosphere, which we share with other information actors, both natural and artificial. And it, it gives, of, of course, advantage and also challenges to also process information logically and independently. Um, um, uh, we, yeah, okay. So uh, humans are losing their uniqueness. We are no longer at the center of the infosphere. So we have to be aware that uh, both also uh, uh, become uh, our challenges mm. and not just human in front of the 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 the, uh, the, the, the laptop or the, the, the cell phone uh, but we should also learning from Arab Spring uh, despite of the uh, the euphoria of of the social advantages and um, from from a journal uh, I, uh, I I found the very interesting uh, side of, of Arab Spring uh, in Egypt, uh, particularly that politics come first. It means that uh, social media penetration should be seen as as cause for political uh, protests and mm. political event precede social media use. Mm. And it's also found a consistently negative correlation between the extent of social media penetration and the amount of protests. Mm. So the real question is not whether this or that type of media plays a major role, but how that role varies over time and circumstances. So um, now uh, I, I come to the, the end of my presentation, uh, uh, the, uh, what, what we have done so far, of course, uh, we call it groundwork. Uh, so we need to raising awareness uh, from the people uh, from, and our, our goal is the victim become a survivor the survivor become an activist and activists become organization leader, mm. the, 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 people, the people organization. And we also encouraging people to organize. It means they have built their own organization or even just community or other collective form. Uh, so uh, this now become, now I turn into the uh, action um, rather than have a big demonstration, maybe in some context like in the uh, junta, a situation uh, we will need to do a guerrilla demonstration that I, I understand that has uh, done in Thailand and mm. Hong Kong. Uh, so also digital action, many forms of this digital action. Mm. Uh, you must be uh, uh, better than, uh, than 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 we than us, and also disclosure of human rights violation from monitoring the violation and uh, or, or uh, doing independent investigation and we can uh, collaboration with independent journalists and mm. or the national human rights institution and also disseminate this report mm. in collaboration with journalists media as a counter narrative to the government uh, and uh, we need to use international human rights mechanism because uh, in our country the the the, the court the mechanism is not working. And so that's all the end of my presentation. Uh, thank you very much uh, and long live struggle and uh, solidarity. That was Aspinawati, the chair of Indonesia's Legal Aid Foundation, speaking about the struggle for democracy in Indonesia. And before her, Farhonde Akbar, a researcher at the Australian National University, speaking about the collapse of Afghanistan. 
that really is all we've got time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week. Music